0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. So this morning we get to hear from author Margaret Feinberg. She, I've known Margaret for quite a long time. She's a friend. She speaks all over the country at colleges just like this one. She's the author of many books and has a podcast called The Joyful Podcast. So I'm really excited for you to get to hear from Margaret today. So let's give her a warm welcome as she comes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. A while back, I was living in my home state of Colorado when I got a call from my aunt up in Sitka, Alaska, that my uncle had gone out scuba diving, and when he came to the surface, he was dead. It turned her world upside down, and she desperately needed help with her bed and breakfast. And being one of the only people with a flexible schedule, I traveled up to Sitka, Alaska for several summers to help her. And while I was there, I met some rather unforgettable people, one of whom was a tall, strapping Alaskan by the name of Lake You see, I was signing books in a church cafe, and he noticed me, but I didn't really notice him because I'm a lot like Dory from Finding Nemo, like, hi. But I eventually caught on to the fact that wherever I went in Sitka, there was life, which might have been uncomfortable, disconcerting, downright creepy, except that in Sitka, Alaska, there's only 14 miles of road end to end. This is one of those tiny towns where people live in a fishbowl existence, where you see the same people at the grocery store, the post office, the gas station. I mean, this is a town so small that when people register for their wedding, they register at true value. So here I am, and everywhere I go, there's Leif, and we become friends, and we're hanging out, and I can tell he's a little sweet on me, but after about five or six weeks, it's time for me to return back to Colorado. But before I do, he sits me down, he looks me in the eyes, and he says, Margaret, I would like to ask you to consider moving to Alaska to pursue a relationship to become my wife. (laughs) Wow, way to let it all hang out. And I remember thinking, ooh, I am so not moving to Alaska for a boy. I mean, they make movies out of people who do things like that. Starring Sandra Bullock. So I back up, I return back to Colorado, but Leif keeps continuing to call and pursue me. And a few months later, my cousin was getting married off the coast of Washington and my mom had come in for the wedding and Leif had come in a few days before just to kind of hang out. And during that time, we all actually shared a meal together for the first time. And at the end of that meal, my mom looked at me and she said, Margaret, this guy is amazing and you are a fool if you don't give this relationship a chance. And so I, Packed up, I moved to Alaska, and 10 months later, I married my stalker. (laughs) Not a real stalker, but a guy who was super intentional about the pursuit. Well, if you ask Leif about the story, just as you have origination stories among your friendships and among those that you love, How you meet isn't always matching up when you ask the other person about it. So he would say that when I moved up to Alaska, things got a little bit weird because all of a sudden, all these people around this tiny town were coming up to him and saying, there is this gal who's about this high who came up to me and was asking about you and your family. And maybe this happened, you know, 2, 10, 20, 40, 50 times And finally, he sent me down and he goes, Margot, what are you doing? Why why are you running around town and asking all these people these things? And just to be really honest, it's because I had been hurt in relationships before. I had dated guys who weren't who they said they were. I had been played by a player. And I was so scared of that happening again. I was so scared of being hurt again that I kept asking and checking and making sure that he was who he said he was, that his family who were, was they said they were. And when I really think about what drove me to do that, I think it's a thought that many of us wrestle with from time to time. And that thought is simply this, it's only a matter of time until the other shoe drops. Anybody thought about that? It's only a matter of time until everything falls apart or goes wrong. That actually colloquialism, that saying, was developed in the 1800s in New York City during the Industrial Revolution, where the New York City experienced such a population explosion that they built as much housing as they could outward, but they ran out of land. And so they began constructing buildings higher and higher, and what they did is they used carbon copies, so it would be bedroom over bedroom, kitchen over kitchen, bathroom over bathroom, and they often used inexpensive materials. And so it was easy to hear through the walls and the ceiling, What would happen is toward the end of the day, often someone would come home and—sorry, I don't know what that was doing there. We're cool, cool. But someone would come home after working all day, and they would sit on the corner of the bed, and they would take off their shoe, and it would drop. And for the person who was in the apartment below, they knew that it was only a matter of time until what? The other shoe dropped. And that's the kind of thinking that I have wrestled with for much of my life. A number of years ago, my husband and I were embezzled by our payroll company for almost a year's worth of our salaries. And there are still times that I can't help but think it's only a matter of time until someone steals from us again. Shortly after that, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. And even though there is no evidence of cancer today, there is still that niggling thought that says it's only a matter of time until that disease or one like it comes back with a vengeance. For some of you in this room, maybe you were the one who dated somebody who wasn't really who they said they were. Maybe you were played by a player. Maybe you're the one who has been betrayed by a friend who has felt so much anxiety, who feels isolated like no one can understand who you are or the experience that you've lived. And if you're honest, there is something inside that says it's only a matter of time until something terrible happens again. Now, I also recognize that in a room this size that there are some of you who have been through spectacular seasons of life. Maybe you're the one who got the scholarship, Maybe you're the one who became a starter on the team. Maybe you just had the game of your life. Maybe you just landed the job. But if you're really honest, something inside of you says, I just can't trust it. And it's only a matter of time until it all goes away. The problem with this kind of thinking is that if you think it long enough, it physiologically becomes ingrained in you, and rather than live into the fullness of the provision and the protection and the power of Jesus Christ, we can begin living barricaded lives, hesitant, pulling back from the very rich and beautiful plans that He has for us. And if there is one person who challenges us against living our lives as if the other shoe is about to drop, it is the Apostle Paul. And I want to invite our friend Jackson up here to be part of a demonstration. Can we give him a round of applause? Go, Jackson! Thanks, friend. And Paul was a man whose missionary journeys were punctuated by shoe-dropping events. I mean, this was a man who was snake-bitten, shipwrecked, wrongfully accused, illegally detained, a man who was beaten and belittled and punched and falsely portrayed. Thanks, Jackson. This was a man who was living in chains, and yet he managed to keep his chin up. This was a man who was so isolated and beaten down and surrounded by death threats, and yet he managed to keep following Jesus every step of the way. And in a world that he lived in, which was marked by uncertainty Confusion and polarization, one that often resembles what's going on in our culture today. He makes this bold declaration in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 19, when he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I'm thinking, you, you, Apostle Paul, that if we rolled up your sleeves, we would see the blue and the green from where where you'd been beaten. You, if we rolled up another sleeve, we might see the scars of a venomous snake bite. You, who are literally surrounded by death threats, and you are still rejoicing, and it gets worse because he declares that he is eagerly living with the expectation that God will show up. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What? I mean, what does this peculiar Paul have that maybe some days we don't? I mean, this is a man who has every reason to moan and to groan, to be shaky from the quakey. And yet he declares, this will turn out for my deliverance. Friend, that is a power declaration. Because you see, Paul is not placing his faith or his trust in a particular outcome, but a particular someone. That when life falls apart in 10,000 pieces, you can still cling to the one who holds all things together. So, the question for us this morning is simply, what is His secret sauce, and how do you and I get some of that? And it is a question that I have been asking for some time. About a year before the pandemic, I reached a point in my own life where my negative thoughts were swirling so hard and so deep. It is false beliefs that they just let me feeling like just spiritually crippled. Thoughts like, Everyone's life is better than mine. I can't really change the world. Some days I wonder if I could even make a difference at all. That's like you don't have anything to offer. It's only a matter of time until the other shoe drops. And I became so paralyzed by the negative thinking, the self doubt, the discouragement. I remember my bestie, Leif, the 6'8 from Alaska. He would try to speak words of life and encouragement to me, and it was like I was wearing one of those big pairs of earmuffs from the airport, and it was just like this muffled wah, 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 wah. I want to be clear. I was still doing all the things. I was still going to church. I was still praying. I was still reading my Bible. I was still exercising. I was still trying to eat well. I was still seeing a counselor. I was still taking my medication, to which my husband says, thank goodness for the medication. (laughs) But it was those days when it just felt like, do you know, when you like it's so hard and heavy to get out of bed. Those days when you take a breath and it's like the oxygen doesn't fully fill your lungs. And one day, we went to lunch with our friends Chris and Christy, because why not marry somebody who has the almost the same name? <laughs> and we went to lunch. I remember Chris at one point, he just put down his fork, and he looked at me, and he said, Margaret, I don't know when or where it has happened, but you have made agreements with the universe that are not true. Whew. At first, I recoiled, and I grew defensive. I thought, uh, agreements with the universe that are not true? That sounds a little woo-woo. And then he began to explain how he'd seen me earlier in my life start out with this optimism and in ministry and serving others. It was just like over time it had eroded. And what was once optimistic and hopeful had been replaced by this discouragement, this shooting down of ideas, this idea that like, like it's only a matter of time until the other shoe drops. And I knew deep down inside he was right. You see, at first these thoughts had come, and at first I had dismissed them, but then I began to acknowledge them, and then I began to entertain them, and I, then I crossed an important spiritual threshold in which I came to, into agreement with Him. And I knew it had, something had to change, and I knew that thing was me. And so I came home, and I began to repent. Repent is one of the first and foremost calls of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 4, 17, He says... Repent, but sometimes the way that word is communicated in our modern culture, it can feel misunderstood or misplaced, it can feel super religious, heavy, but if you actually look in the Greek for repent, it means metno, and it simply means to change one's mind. Not to change one's actions or behaviors or attitude, but to change your mind. Because when Jesus came, he did not come for behavior modification. He came for true transformation from the inside out. That's so why I repented. I just said, Jesus, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to spend my one precious life like this. I said, "Lord, forgive me. I don't want to live my life as if something bad is always going to happen." And so, I just took out a piece of paper and I just sat with the Holy Spirit and I said, "Spirit, tell me, tell me what I'm believing that isn't true." So I'm going to invite you guys. Would you guys be willing to snap your fingers? Oh, y'all can do better than that. Come on, nice, much better. Will you snap if you've ever thought any of these thoughts? I need to make everyone happy. If it's going to be done right, I need to do it myself. I can't let other people really see who I am. Things will be better if I'm in control. You see, Martin Luther once described that temptations are like birds that fly over our head. They will pass over for a lifetime, but we do not have to make space for them in our heads. And for me, these thoughts had come and at first I acknowledged and then I began to entertain and then I began to make space for them and then I crossed that line where I was coming into agreement with them. And what I realized is that that nest became so heavy and big, it weighed down so much and I wasn't making agreements with the universe, I was making agreements with the accuser Of the saints. The good news is that Paul reveals we do not have to live this way. Second Corinthians 10 5 says we tear down arguments and every presumption that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so the question is not should we do this, the question is how. How do we do this when brain scientists tell us that we have upwards of 40 to 60,000 thoughts per day? And in the last couple of years, I was diagnosed with ADD and ADHD, to which my friends say, that explains a lot. (laughs) And so for us who struggle with ADD or ADHD, we know that it's not like, ooh, squirrel. It's like, ooh, 10,000 squirrels running in all directions with sparklers and a marching band. And it's so exciting. And so I don't have enough mental fly swatters to take every thought captive because there's just so many. What's amazing is that the Creator embedded us with the ability to do what He calls us to do. You see, brain scientists tell us that the neurons that fire together wire together. And it's a fancy way of saying that the pathways that are formed are fortified in our brains through repetitive thoughts. And so the first time you think a thought, like, like you're not going to make a difference, or you're not going to get a job, or, or the other shoes going to drop, or things are going to fall apart. All of a sudden, that thought is like kind of bushwhacking to get through there. But if you think a thought long enough, what happens is you start cruising in your brain to that thought and that destination much more quickly. All of a sudden, it's not bushes everywhere, it's gravel, and the next thing you know, it's a smooth path. And if you do it long enough, what happens is it becomes a four-lane superhighway, so you end up at that destination time and time again, and that outlook will shape your relationships, what you think about your future, the risks that you're willing to take, and become a hindrance to the very goals and plans and purposes Christ has for you. But the incredible good news is that God provided a way out. He created our brains with neuroplasticity, so just as we can build a superhighway in one direction, we can dismantle it and begin building a superhighway in a different direction. And so what I did is I just went to the Scripture. I looked at all the things that I was falsely believing, and I began combating them with the truth of what Christ says and God says about us. And not just the lie that That it's only a matter of time until the other shoe drops, but all the other ones that i had come to believe. And I started taking 90 seconds a day to say these things out loud. Why is it so important to say the truth of Scripture out loud and not just read it sometimes? Because when you say it out loud, you're doing the work of reforming those superhighways and building them in a whole new direction. The neuroplasticity and the change is physiologically happening. But the second thing is is when you declare God's truth out loud, you are in essence declaring allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. But third, when you say them out loud, you are not just saying them to yourself or to God. You are saying to the enemy, there is no room here. So I began rising up each day. Just taking 90 seconds to make declarations like this. Jesus is king of my life. I am who Christ says I am. I take every thought captive. I break every agreement that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. My purpose is to love, serve, glorify, and enjoy God forever. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in me. I I am God's beloved child in whom he is well pleased. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, beautiful beyond measure. The power of God guards my thoughts. The word of God guides my steps. And the favor of God rests on me. 72 hours later, my husband and best friend Leif looked at me, and he says, I don't know what has happened, but you are a little lighter and freer than I have seen in months. That is the power of God's Word that Sarah read so beautifully to us today, to unlock, to uncover, to bring freedom to us. There are still times that Leif will look at me some days, and he'll be like, honey, did you do your declarations today? And I'll be like, mm, no. I had a friend who used this list and gave it to her daughter who was getting bullied in junior high. Man, junior high, like, nobody's like, that was the best years of my life. Like, no one on planet Earth. And somebody's like, that was my best years. And I'm like, baby, your best years are ahead of you. But started doing this, been bullied, so discouraged. And and the first time she read the list of, of these scriptural declarations, she was like, Jesus is king of my life. I am who Christ says I am. I take every thought captive. Two weeks later, she rose up and said, Jesus is king of my life. I am who Christ says I am. I take every thought captive took this list and I I made photocopies and I put them literally at my bathroom. I I put them in my car, I put them in the back of my Bible, I put them near the toilet paper roll, too much information, But, but I put them all over. And I have seen the difference this has made. I didn't know that the pandemic would come and it would be pretty harsh for Leif and I, that we would face job loss and unemployment. And stress-induced health challenges, financial difficulties, lost friendships, and moments that all I can describe is that my grief-o-meter was pinned so high, it was just hard to function. And I want to be clear, like, as far as Paul, like, I have not been bitten by a venomous snake, and I haven't been to prison yet. (laughs) But I know pain, and I know suffering and I know loss. And I know what it's like to wrestle with the thought that it's only a matter of time until the other shoe drops. And I wake up every day and I make these daily declarations, and it has changed my life, and I have a hunch that for some of you, it might just do the same. Now let me be crystal clear and explicit about something. This is not a substitute for spending time with a counselor who can help you walk through things. This is not a substitute for eating well and exercising. This is not a substitute from surrounding yourself with life-giving friends. This is not a substitute for, for skipping church and not reading your Bible or, or pray. This is, not a, this is not a substitute for any of those things. But it is one more tool in your toolbox, to rise up. And so I'm going to invite you guys to stand for a moment. Would you be willing to do that as I read some of these declarations over you? And if you're willing, maybe this sounds strange if you might consider, because these are scriptural, if you, if you put your hands kind of in a receiving mode. If that's too weird for you, totally get it. For those of you in here, you need to know that your words have power. You will look for every opportunity to speak life, show compassion, and bring out the best in others. You, shame is not your master. God's power is perfected in your vulnerability. You, you refuse to be held hostage to unforgiveness. You will forgive 70 times 7 and beyond because you are forgiven. You are an overcomer. You refuse to bow your knee to the accuser, listen to the voice of the adversary, or flinch in the face of adversity because God is working all things together for your good and for His glory. You will look for the character and the competence of God in every situation because you are on God's offensive team today. Friends, it is time to rise up and stop playing defensive on the body of, in the body of Christ and begin playing offensive. And so as you leave today, I want to give you a gift. It, it is a list of those declarations. The sweet staff here was gracious enough to print these out and make these available. Would you just for the next 14 days, would you put this by your bathroom or where you study, or wherever it is in your life, Just start saying these things out loud and start to see how the Holy Spirit uses His Word to dislodge some of those negative thinking patterns and break you free and bring joy and levity and delight because all those things come from our very, very good God. Amen.